Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Man, there are times when the Spirit's just moving, and as a preacher, man, you got all the plans and all that kind of stuff, but you, you don't know what to do. And I'm just reminded of that today. And I'm, I'm, I'm living in, in that space today, just constantly reminded of, of how good God is and, and just all that he's doing um, in the lives of people that are connected to our church and beyond. Uh, Friday, we went and, and picked up our, our middle schoolers. They were at, at youth camp, which is not far from here all week. And so I'm sitting there I'm, I'm all week thinking about that camp and thinking about our students. And can you just show, show some love to our student ministry team for the way they invest in our kids, Preston and his team and all that they do. And, and I know if you've been around Vintage, you, you've heard me talk about my salvation story before. You, you, do, you, do you know your salvation story? Like that moment, do you remember it? Do you remember that moment when, when you actually made that decision for yourself? Because you know you have to, right? Like every heart, every human has to, has to decide. You don't, nobody gets to heaven on anybody else's coattails, okay? It, it, is, it, is, it is something that you have to decide for yourself. And, and this time of year, and especially picking up Aiden and Leah at camp, I, I can't help but remember mine because it happened at that camp. And when your kids are at a week, at a place where you met Jesus, it brings back those memories, it was in the middle of a, of a rally, and y'all have heard this story, but you're going to hear it again, okay? Come on. And I was in the rally, and I, I, and I got out, and I was like, something's just, I don't even know what the preacher was preaching about. And I went down, and on that camp is like an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And leading down to the pool house is a set of concrete steps that are almost as wide, maybe a little wider than this right here. And this might not be good for the camera angle, but anyway. And I remember going down, I sat on those concrete steps. And I remember just thinking, I'm 14 years old. I've been in church my whole life. I've known all there is to know about Jesus, right? You know what I mean? But it's just like, like you can know about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can know a lot about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can be at church every Sunday and not be saved. And I remember I had that moment. I was 14 years old, and I, and I, I, I met Jesus in that moment, and I, I'll never forget it. And I felt the Lord say, Matt, you got to choose me for you. Like, you've got to choose me. I had to make that decision. You had to make that decision, son. Like, my faith will never be enough for you. It's gotta be your own. It's gotta be your own. So I was 14. Two years later, I preached my first sermon. Y'all have heard me tell this story. It's the worst sermon in the history of preaching. It was like seven minutes long, but at 14, you ain't got a whole lot, right, you know? Um, it, it, and I felt like the Lord was calling me to preach. But then the next couple years, I felt all this pressure to be perfect. And I think that's why so many people give up on their relationship with Jesus. Because they, they have this real sincere, powerful moment with God. They experience this salvation, and then they step into a place, and far too often it's the church, when now it's, all right, go be good. God wants you to be good. Be good, be good, be good, be good. And we're gonna lean into that fruit of the Spirit in just a minute today. But that pressure just got to me. And it's got to the point where like, because you know why? Because I kept having moments where I slipped up. 
I would love to tell you at 14, I walked away from those concrete steps and I was the best follower of Jesus you have ever seen, but I wasn't. I still struggle with some of the same addictions, some of the same lusts, some of the same temptations. And I would have slip-ups, and then I'd show up in my youth group or at Sunday, and it was never from my parents or even anybody specific. Maybe it was just pressure I built in my own mind just to be perfect. Or maybe it was my own immaturity and misunderstanding of Scripture, and I'd read certain things, and, 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 and I would just project my own desire to be perfect onto those verses, and I realized, well, if I, if I can't be the perfect, good little preacher's kid, and that's my whole life. My whole life, people told me, you're going to be a preacher just like your dad. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a preacher. And I said, what if I don't want to be a preacher? And so I let the pressure just say, if I can't be perfect, I'll just be as imperfect as I can possibly be. And that was kind of the way I lived for a little while. And I'm grateful eventually God began to, to shift my heart and change my life. And what I realized and what I hope you're realizing as we walk through this series is on the other side of salvation, there is not an expectation to be perfect. But there, salvation doesn't lead to perfection, but it does lead to a change in production. Salvation doesn't lead to perfection, but it does lead to a change in production. The, the things that are produced in your life begin to shift, begin to change. What the Spirit produces in you, God does not expect perfection from you, but what the Spirit produces in you is different than what it was before or could be otherwise. Somebody say amen. Does that make sense? Help me know that you understand what I'm saying because this is really important because maybe there's a lot of people that you've grown up in the church or maybe even you've found Jesus in the last several months and you somehow you're projecting that idea of perfection on you and you know you keep missing the mark and you're gonna get to the point like I did, well, if I can't be perfect, I'll be as imperfect as I can possibly be and I'll just do whatever I want and then you'll fall victim to that fleshy desire that produces the things in your life that are not gonna be good for you. But what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you it's not perfection, but some fruit that leads to a fulfilling life. Galatians chapter 5, jump on down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. And let's not become boastful, challenging one another, and envy one, envying one another. That, no, on the other side of salvation, it doesn't lead to perfection, but it does change production a little bit, a whole lot. What's produced in your life is these things that, that you can't produce yourself. They can't be forced or fake. They can't be manufactured or manipulated. What God wants to produce in you it's love and joy and patience and gentleness and all these things. And what I've been doing throughout this series, I've been thinking about my life. From that day when I was 14 to stepping on those campgrounds a few days ago at 43. And as we were bringing Aiden and Leah home, and it, it wasn't a, a, a really long drive, but I started to think in my mind is how has God changed me? 
Because I know I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm supposed to be different. I'm supposed to be different. You cannot have a rescued heart and a renewed mind without a change in behavior. That's not possible. You cannot have a rescued heart and a renewed mind without a change in behavior. Last week I told you there's some things you can't be. Like you can't be kind of pregnant. Remember I said that? Y'all remember? Like you're either pregnant or you're not. And like you can't be a, a cruel Christian. There's no such thing. You know what you can't? Husbands, wives, you can't get married and live like you're single. That's ruining a lot of marriages right now. <laughs> right? You, you can't get married and live like you're, you can't get saved and keep living like the sinner you used to be. It just, it's just not possible. Because when you start walking in the spirit, he starts, he doesn't just eliminate your sin, he wants to produce his fruit in your life. The salvation isn't just about removing your sin, it's about producing his fruit in our lives. And so what we ought to see is just this fruit. As we walk with Jesus, and grow, we have so misdefined what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have so gotten confused about what discipleship is because discipleship has all been just about the habits. But the habits of discipleship should produce the fruits of the Spirit. Did you hear that? The habits of discipleship should produce the fruits of the Spirit. And you can do all the things, but the measure is in the fruit. That the more you pray, the more you read your Bible, the more you go to church, the more, the closer, these things should, should start seeing, you should start seeing more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more love, more self-control. That when we walk with Jesus and walk in his spirit, things start to be produced in our lives. And the next thing that we're leaning into today is goodness. That the fruit of the spirit is goodness. And I know you're like me, you're reading these and you're like, some of these things sound really similar. And they're because they're all connected. As Jasmine pointed out, these aren't the fruits, plural, of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. Like this is, this is one thing being manifested in our lives. And that's the reason why they seem connected and intertwined and, and woven together as one. Because they all, to have any of them, all of them have to be present. Like, do you think you're ever gonna be kind if you don't love? You think you'll ever be patient if there's not peace? Like these things, to have any of them is to have all of them and move in our lives. And this concept of goodness. Like we serve a God who is good, come on. Not just what he does is good, it's, it's like his nature. And we were created in his image. Have you ever thought about that? Do you think about that? I know you have thought of it, do you think about it enough? That you were made in the image of God. So if a good God created you, there is good that he wants to come from you. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created to do good. 
God designs you to do good. You are God's handiwork. That should give you a sense of purpose and identity right from the jump. Like God formed you. God made you. God designed you. And God designed you with his destiny in mind. I like to think of it like God's in heaven and he's just dreaming us up. And he has this picture in his heart and mind of what he wants to do in and through our lives. And then he forms us with that purpose in mind. And so every time you get frustrated with you, remember, like, you are not accidental. Everything about you is intentional. And now there's a flesh in you and a sin in you that wants to take that you that's you and make it something that it's not supposed to be. And what what God essentially wants to do is eliminate the sin that's standing in the way of you being the youest you you can be. That was really good preaching Like God wants to eliminate the sin. See, the sin, we had, so often we identify with our sin that our sin becomes tethered to our identity. What God wants to do is detach us from that sin to give us not just a new identity, the identity he intended for us in the beginning. The identity that he had for you in his mind and heart when he formed you in your mom's womb. I'm making up all this up as I go because it's not in my notes. I hope I remember it for the other two gatherings. Y'all might get the best one today. That there is a you that he wants you to be, and the only way for you to be the you is you he intended you to be is to deal with your sin. And he dealt with your sin through Jesus because you couldn't do anything about your sin. He had to do it so that you could be the you that he intended to do. That's a lot of you's, but y'all know what I'm saying. You're God's handiwork created to do good. That your life matters. There's a contribution that you were intended to make in this world. There's a good that he wants you to do with your life in step with his spirit as you pursue your purpose. And all throughout the New Testament, we see this concept of, of, of doing good. Let me just rattle off a bunch of them for you. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Pick up with verse 17. Paul says, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, Or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life That is truly life. Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a pastor at a church, and he's saying, all those people that you have, that you are in charge of helping grow in their faith, tell them that God has created them for good, that they should do good, that there is a good that they're intended to do with the one and only life that they have been given. And good does not happen when we're only consumed with gathering for us instead of being generous toward others. He says, tell them to be rich in good deeds and generous, willing to share, willing to, to give, that we are commanded to do good. I always pay attention to what Paul says to pastors, you know, being one and all. And he says this to Timothy, and he also says it to, in Titus, another pastor within a church. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 8. So this is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things 
so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent, and they're profitable for everyone, not just one. I added that just one part. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Drop down to verse 14, Titus 3, 14. Our people, the people who follow Jesus, the people who claim Christ as Lord, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. That we're created to do good, to make a dent in the world in which we live. The church, the body of Christ, is to do the most good. And it's a shame that we see in other organizations outgooding us. That there are things that we are supposed to do. That there's goodness that's supposed to flow from you. That what we do collectively as the body of Christ and as individual followers of Jesus, it should be good. And then, it, so you say, all right, well, okay, what? If you're like me, like, I want, I want details. I want to know the specific good things that I'm supposed to do. And, like, that's how we're wired. And, and, and even though sometimes God just doesn't do it like that. He didn't give us this, this exact list of the specific good things. Like, like, this is good, and this is good, and this is bad, and this is good, and this. And sometimes he does that. But in a lot of ways, good, you know what good is? Good is always for his glory. If it's about your fame instead of his name, that's not the goodness that God wants to produce in the life of a follower of Jesus. If all it ever leads to is people celebrating you and not considering him, that's not good. Did you hear me? If the thing that you're doing, all it ever leads to is people celebrating you instead of considering him, that's not good. Matthew chapter five, verse 16 we read this back in our Salt and Light series. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That when somebody sees the good flowing out of your life produced by the Holy Spirit, that their result is not to pat you on the back to celebrate you and throw awards around your neck. It says to glorify your Father in heaven that the good that we do in the world is not about our glory and our fame. It's about his glory and his name for his sake. First Peter chapter two, Peter would tell the church, live such good lives among the pagans that they, even though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Like there is good that God wants to see flowing out of a life surrendered to him that when Jesus is Lord and the spirit is in control that we do good. But I know what you're thinking, I'm no good. Wait, man, like even Jesus said that there is nobody good but God. Do y'all remember that encounter? Mark chapter 10, verse 17 
says, and Jesus started on his way, and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. And here, Matt, you're telling us to do good. Yep. No one is good except God alone, but God makes good possible. That God makes good possible. That we live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of the empty tomb. And the God that is good in his goodness decided to take away the sin that was standing in the way of the good that he wants to produce in our lives. And I know so many of us, we feel like Paul. Romans chapter 7. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. The beginning of you ever accomplishing anything good is to acknowledge that good is not naturally in you. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I, want, I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And see, this is how we feel. This is how I felt in that moment after I accepted Jesus and I preached my first sermon and I read this, I start projecting this pressure on me. Like, I want to do good, but God, I keep doing bad. I want to follow you, but I keep letting temptation get the best of me. And you start feeling this sense of defeat. And it's hard to do good when you feel defeated. Come on. It's hard to do good when you feel defeated. Verse 24, Paul says, what a wretched man I am. And then he asks the question, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What's the solution? What's going to happen? What can happen to, to rescue me from this, this destructive pattern of wanting to do good and then not doing it? Having the desire, but then doing the exact opposite thing that I desire to do. And then in verse 25, it gives us the answer. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. That, no, I am incapable, but I'm reminded that I didn't have to be capable. That I'm not good, but he is. That the sinful nature that creeps up in me, he has the power to eliminate it in my life. He is the one that can come in and set me free from those bonds and those chains and those things that are keeping me back. That, all, that, that the key to doing good is not trying to do better, but getting closer. Did you hear me? The key to good is not you trying to do better, but getting closer, closer to God, intimate with him, walking in tune with his spirit, recognizing his voice among all the others that are competing for the attention of your mind. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus. See, we have been made good. The gospel has made us good. And I know just me saying that is starting to freak some people out. 
But if you don't ever think that his goodness is strong enough to make you good, you will always be bad. <laughs> right? You've heard me say this a long time. If every time you look in the mirror, all you see is a sinner instead of someone who's been saved by the grace of God, you'll live like the sinner instead of the one who's been saved. That you cannot keep living within that slave mindset and operate like a son or daughter of Jesus. That he has set us free. And when he does, it makes a difference in our lives. We have been made new. Go to back into Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, see, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That you have, you have the goodness of God in all its fullness inside of you. And when you walk with him, that good that he puts in you comes out of you, and it makes a difference. And let me, let me remind you, and I, I hope we set this tone in the Plain and Simple series, that your good deeds do not result in your salvation. Amen? Your good deeds do not result in your salvation, but your salvation will and should result in good deeds. Your good deeds do not result in salvation, but your salvation results in good deeds. The good you do is not to erase all the bad that you've done. Like, that's not the point. Like, these good, it's not now you get saved and you think, I gotta do all this good to make up for all this bad. You don't, your good deeds don't make up for the bad you've done because Jesus has already done that. So stop. And see, that's the pressure that we live. Like, I gotta, like, Jesus has done so much for me, so, so I gotta be good. Almost as if, like, I gotta justify his sacrifice. If you had to do that, he would have never come. Now, I'm not saying we don't operate with gratitude out of what God has done, but if you live with the pressure to do good in order to make up for the bad or to justify the good that he did, you're missing the point, you're living under that pressure, and you'll never walk in victory. Your spirit will crush under that weight. The good you do is not to erase the bad you've done. Jesus has already done that. The good we do is now because we walk with Jesus. And the more you walk with him, he changes your perspective and the way that you live your life and how you, how you walk in him. And good just begins to flow out of us. And things begin to change. Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That a 
A rescued heart and a renewed mind leads to a changed life. And the good that comes from us is not to erase the bad that's been done by us. Jesus has done that. But God has good designed for your life. There is good he wants to do in you so that he can do good through you so that we can make a difference in the world in which we live. That there should be good. That everything that flows from the life of a follower of Jesus should be good. Aiden, bring me that box real quick, buddy. Isn't that a good-looking young man right there, my son? I don't know what you see when you see these. Every now and then you see these out in the lobby. And sometimes maybe you think that, oh, you just get this box and and you just fill it with food and, and now I feel better about myself. But this is just one example of the good that should flow from the body of Christ. See, when I see this box, I see, I see more than just the reality that, that hungry kids are gonna have food. Especially right now, when I see these boxes, I think of Kim Reddick. And to me, these boxes that we're doing right now in this season where we're collecting food for Run 5, Feed 5, to me, it's, the exa- it's, it's, a, it's a picture of spiritual maturity. Because Kim Reddick, who, who leads the Run 5, Feed 5 ministry, she did this because she knows that the fruit of the Spirit in her is love and joy and peace and patience and, kind, all, and goodness. And the goodness that God is welling up in here, her is producing goodness from her in our community to do good. And every time a kid gets a box of this food, her hope is this good deed causes them to consider the glory of God and choose him as their savior. And I know we do simple things like this as a church sometimes, and we think, oh, we're just, and see, this is my fear, is, is to where this stuff will get routine and normal, and that we forget that goodness flows from us when we intentionally walk with the Holy Spirit and decide to do good, not for our glory or our recognition or so that we get celebrated, but when somebody sees this, it, they don't celebrate Vintage Church, but they consider that there is a God out there who, that through our goodness they know that there is a your goodness helps people be aware of his goodness and so many people in our culture are resisting God because life has somehow convinced them that God's not good there's children in our community if God was good I'd have all the food I need if God was good dad would still be here If God was good, I wouldn't be going through this. If God was good, I wouldn't have brain cancer. If God was good, life can have a way to drain the goodness of God from the hearts of his people. And our job is to paint a new picture of the goodness and glory of God that help them consider him for who he is. And that only happens when our heart is surrendered to him. We're walking in his spirit not for perfection, but a change in production. And what happens when individuals who claim Jesus decide to let God work in and through them and realize that you are God's handiwork? You're God's handiwork. That how you make your living is not just how you get a paycheck, that you see every platform as a place for purpose to help people see the goodness of God. And like this week, as we finish taking up these boxes, and on Tuesday, they go and they get put in the homes of families. You know what I hope people see? God is good. 
I hope that we as a church help people see that God is good because he is. And I want to radiate his goodness and I want you to radiate his goodness through the way that you live your life. So God, I pray that you would help us to lean into your spirit. That God, you have designed us for good. And God, that good is not possible unless we allow you to separate us from our sins so that we can be who you intended us to be. See, our sin is keeping us from who you want us to be. But God, thank you for making a way. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you we don't have to jump through hoops or do all the good in order to make up for all the bad because you decided to do that for us. And now you just want us to be examples and instruments of your goodness in the world and lead people to give you honor and glory. And God, help us to do that and everything we say, think, and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, wow. What an incredible and powerful message for us this week to, to practically know that we get to be God's goodness in this world. And you know, one of the things that Matt said is that the, the key to goodness isn't about being better, but being closer. And if you're wondering, like, how do I, how can I be closer to God? You're not sure. We would love to help you. We would love to come alongside you, take those next steps in faith, walk alongside you, pray for you, encourage you in those moments when you feel defeated. So use that Vintage Church app. Use the respond feature. Reach out. Let us know how we can encourage you and resource you and pray for you because that is the privilege that we have as your staff and your pastors. We love you guys so much, and we hope that you have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.